Well, good morning. We'll wait for the children to get out, and then we will uh, have a moment of prayer together. While we're preparing, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn them to Nehemiah chapter 2. It's right before the Psalms, noodling around in there. All right, join me in prayer this morning. Father, we are so blessed that you've allowed us to assemble one more time, one more Sunday morning to gather as the family of God, to gather as the Grace Covenant family. Some have been gathering for many, many years together. What a delight that we have so many familiar faces. Some more recently, and then this morning we're so blessed as we have been every Sunday to have guests with us, watching online, engaging with us, and sitting right here on the property. What a joy, what a privilege. I'm keenly aware this morning of the struggles of several online and here. Lord, some with family members just beginning uh, cancer treatment, some having just come out of a serious health concern and now dealing with something else, financial strain, business troubles. I'm also thinking of some in our congregation who are celebrating monumental victories in their lives in recent days, answered prayers that they've been praying for a long time, transitions coming up that uh, they see your hand in in many ways. The blessing of that, Lord, in getting to serve in this way is getting to weep with those that weep, to rejoice with those that are rejoicing and to see you in the midst of each family, each individual, each moment. You're such an awesome God. Lord, you are here with us now because we've gathered to worship in your name and we believe that you will speak through your word because this is your word, not mine. We bless you in Christ's name, amen. Amen. If you're our guest this morning and you saw the children being dismissed, and maybe you're a young family and you've got some kids, there are kids that stay in here every Sunday and don't participate in Children's Church. We love that. There are some kids that leave on uh, the second and fourth Sunday of the month and go with Pastor D for Children's Church. We love that. It's wonderful. The elders decided very intentionally not to do that on a weekly basis so that we didn't miss the dynamic of worshiping together the way the church worshiped together for a couple thousand years, actually, which is all generations at the same time as families. Imagine that. Pretty awesome. So we're trying to scratch both itches, and we thank you for your patience because some of you want more of this and some of you want more of that. Hey, we'll meet in the middle and call it church, shall we? Take your Bibles, and as we're looking at Nehemiah 2, let me bring you back to where, we, um, where we've been. So Nehemiah has done a lot of praying uh, since we've last been together. In fact, the first couple of verses in Nehemiah chapter 1, he's intercepting this caravan of folks coming to him and bringing him a news report that has disturbed him greatly. And then there's this prayer that happens in the rest of chapter 1, and we see Nehemiah calling out to the God of heaven. We examined that prayer last week in detail. Now, he's prayed and mourned for a period of about four months. Elliot read that month of Nisan, and we we kind of call our months different names now, but, but that's four months after the month that happened when Nehemiah received the report. Remember that his heart for God quickly surfaced as we were looking at the text last week. 
we saw that he had a concern for God's people. The first question he asked the folks he saw coming back from Jerusalem was, how are the people doing? Boy, that'll tell you somebody loves God if they love people, right? You ever meet people, you're around people, and you're not sure if they love you, but you know they love themselves. Because <laughs> as quick as they can, they want to tell you about all things them. Have you met those folks? No, nobody in here, of course, but other folks that uh, maybe attend other churches or don't even go to church, right? But they're like, how you doing? They say, how you doing? And while you're talking, you can see their lips pursing to say they're, sta- they're not listening to a word. You're sa- how you doing? Good, good. Let me tell you what's going on in my life. You're like, I took a breath, man. That's not Nehemiah. And that's not how we should be as we cultivate our heart for God. I think somebody that has a heart for God and has a heart for others is actually trying their best to be a good, active listener. And because Nehemiah engaged at that level, it showed that he was moved with concern. He not only had a heart for God's people, he had a heart for God's glory because that's what was at stake. It's a little different for us. We don't think of a city or, or a building as representing the glory of God in that way like they did because we're in the New Testament phase and we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The scripture teaches us. I'll come back to that. But Nehemiah knew that there was more at stake than just walls and a maintenance project. He didn't just need to get the men of the church to show up on a Saturday with uh, some tools to fix some things at the church. Um, this, was, this was bigger than that. Nehemiah had a great concern for God's glory because it was the earthly evidence. Jerusalem was that earthly picture of the glory of God. We are the living letters. We who name the name of Christ, we who are Christians, we are the ones who are that earthly representation now of the glory of God. No pressure, right? Have you ever thought about that? People don't look at Jerusalem today for the New Testament manifestation of God. They look at us. So, I mean, if your theme song is, I always feel like somebody's what? No. (laughs) It's true. People are watching you live this thing called life to see if you actually believe what you say you believe. And they're watching in the hard moments and in the victorious moments. They want to see you on the mountaintop and they want to see you in the valley. Do you have the goods? Well, that's who we are today. We are the living letters that God is displaying to the world. People aren't picking up as many Gideon Bibles in the hotel uh, drawer as they used to. They're watching us. They're watching us. We have an opportunity to display the glory of God to them. Well, Nehemiah, through that praying and through those four months, had really prepared for the moment that the reading just got us up to in chapter 2. Remember, his, he is in Persia serving, but he's not of Persia. He is there. He might be here serving right now, but his mind and his heart are there with God's people and God's glory. It's okay for us to be a little absent-minded in this day and age Time. It's okay for you to not follow all the news feeds. It's probably good for your mental health to shut them off once every, I don't know, minute. Like, just to get away from some of that. I got news for you. Uh, I, I just want to encourage you this morning. I know the news has been <gasps> this week about papers and resorts and homes and taxes and stuff. None of those are of any eternal consequence. Not a one of them. And if you've got yourself all worked up into a lather, turn off the news and get into God's word and get around some people because they have souls that will last forever. 
we've got the privilege of touching two things that last for eternity. One is the word of God and the other is others. And God's calling us to live as his epistles to both. Well, I, I just want to remind you that we might be in this world, but we as God's people are not of this world. Nehemiah is about to demonstrate for us in the Old Testament a principle found in Romans chapter number 12, verse 2. He's lived in such a way that he's not conformed to this world, in it, not of it. He's being transformed by the renewal of his mind, and so he's about to be tested real quick. A question's about to come, and he's got to answer it on a moment's notice. You're going to see it play out in just a minute. And, and he's going to do that. Why? Because God is working in his heart and mind. You want to be ready to give an answer on a moment's notice? You're not going to find it doing this. You're going to find it spending time in the Word of God. He's like, well, my Bible's on my phone. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little old school. Have you met me? Like, Christy knows. Like, I, I might be short, but I'm old school. I'm a 90-year-old, 6'5 man inside of here. That's what it is, right? That's just no shocker to the Grace Covenant family. But uh, that's, what's, that's what's up. Nehemiah is ready because he has spent time with the Lord. You will not be ready for what's coming in this life. You will not be ready for what may hit you this week if you don't spend time with the Lord. And that means putting on the do not disturb more than once in a while. As we dive into the text this morning, remember he's living out a tough part of the fulfillment of Scripture. He's experiencing the exile. It's clear from chapter 1 that he's in the Word and the Word is in him. He passionately loves God's people. He's passionately concerned for the kingdom of God. And the Bible teaches us in Romans 8. Man, Romans and Nehemiah are like, it's awesome. Romans 8, he's about to see that all things are going to work together for good because he's called by God for such a time as this. It's, it's just remarkable. Four months have passed. Four months of praying fervently. I want to encourage you this morning. You're like, he's never going to get to the text. This is the longest introduction I've ever heard in my life. Ah, oh, you should have been here last week. Uh, take note. He is in the center of God's will, and he's in exile. Now, that doesn't jive well with our American Christianity because we think in American Christianity, we think to be in the center of God's will means we've got it made in the shade. All our bills are paid. I don't know what else rhymes with aid, so I'm going to stop right there while I'm ahead. But, but that everything's going our way. Nehemiah is in the center of God's will, and he is in exile. Nehemiah is in the center of God's will when he was mourning and praying for four months. He was right where God needed him to be. Nehemiah was in the center of God's will while he was waiting on God. Can I encourage you? Somebody in the room needs to hear this this morning. Waiting time is not wasting time. You are investing, if you're waiting on the Lord, with the Lord, you are investing your time in eternal matters. That situation may never change while you're here on this earth, but God can change you and use you to reach people while you're in exile, while you're mourning and weeping. And that night may last long, but the word promises joy in the morning. Those that wait upon the Lord, the Bible says, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He is right where God has him 
to be. He's right exactly where God needs him to be, where God wants him to be. And listen to me, he's in the center of God's will when he can't hide his sadness. You can be in God's will. You can be right where he has strategically placed you for his glory. And you can be experiencing grief and emotions. God wired us with those emotions. Now, we shouldn't give them the driver's keys because they don't drive well, right? They don't make good decisions when we let our emotions drive, right? They're not even, they, they really probably even shouldn't be in the passenger seat. But you don't kick them out of the car. God made us with emotions. They're gifts from the Lord. The first header I would have you write down as we look at chapter 2, if we're going to get to work, which is what's about to happen for the people of God, if we're going to get to work, if it's time for us to do the work that God is calling us to do, the first note that I would have you write down is it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. Now, this is how this is going to work. I know sometimes I trick you and say there are only three points, but one of them has like eight subpoints. That's not this morning. None of that, okay? I'm just going to give you some little headers to work out beside. You can write in the margins of your Bible. It's allowed. I checked. We have permission. If you're like, I don't want to do that in my Bible, grab a pew Bible. It's good. Now, if you can't write or you write in hieroglyphics, maybe just keep that to yourself. But if you can write legibly, that note may help somebody else. In verses 2 and 3, we see the king approaching Nehemiah and, and notice that his face is sad. He says, why is your face sad? And then Nehemiah says, if you look at the text in your Bibles, it says, verse 2, the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then he says, then I was very much afraid. A little context here. Why was it so hard to... Um, to be afraid or sad. Why would he be afraid if he's sad in front of the king? Well, a top-ranking civil servant in the presence of the king who looks sad. See, the kings were always suspicious of everybody, right? They were paranoid. Every king was paranoid. I mean, just out of their minds. And they would look around. If they saw one person sad, they'd be like, oh, there's a coup. Something's about to happen. They're going to kill me. Somebody's going to stab me. The, my my cupbearer is poisoning my wine. I'm going to die. Like that right? They escalated quickly. Talk about letting emotions take the driver's seat. This is like Shakespeare notes this in some of his writings on even later day kings. It's just happening. It's the way it is. They didn't have the secret service protecting them or the Praetorian guard. Nothing like that. This is the way their minds worked. And so he's saying, wait, this is sadness of heart. You're not sick, right? You ain't got the COVIDs. So what's going on? And, and he knew he was sad. He knew that something was going on. And, and he's like, what, what am I going to say? Nehemiah responds, and he responds tactfully. He responds wisely because he's been praying and spending time with God. He's been thinking, I'm sure, as God led him in prayer, what, what if the king asks me about this? I mean, what, what if the king notices something's up and says, hey, what's up? What am I going to say? He had thought through that, and we see that when the opportunity came. Just a side note here. I'm going to weave some application as we're working through, not save it all for the end. Be ready when God opens the door and has an opportunity for you that brings him glory. Be ready. How do you be ready? I'm, there's no secret sauce here. You ready? Sunday school song. Read your Bible every day and you'll... Six of you know the song. It's Awesome. I have an assignment for the Sunday school teachers. No. So, so be ready. There's no secret sauce here. There are podcasts you can listen to, sure, that are helpful on leadership, but all those things are 
fantastic, I'm sure, but nothing, nothing will do for you what time in the Word and time with God does. Nothing does. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is sitting right there with you, bringing to light the words of life so that you're ready. Notice Nehemiah was an opportunistic. There's a difference between being ready for the opportunity and being opportunistic. What do I mean by that? You've met these folks, right? They want the conversation to go a certain way, and so they manipulate you to get there. Y'all ever met anybody like that? Like they walk up to you and go like, you hate everything, right? Your life is terrible, right? Life is, they don't say, hey, how are you doing? They're like already getting you there. You hate everything, right? You hate these pews and want them padded right good because I'm bringing a vote up to the church. By the way, we don't vote, but I'm bringing a vote up to the church. We're going to get some pads. People manipulate. That's not what Nehemiah did, but he was ready for the opportunity. There's a difference. His initial words are not political. He didn't mention Jerusalem. He didn't talk about the factions or anything. Look at what he says in verse 3. He appeals to the king. First off, he starts well with respect. Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my, oh, this is so wise of him, father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. wonder why I didn't say Jerusalem's in ruins. Well, remember last week, this king had ordered that the rebuilding of Jerusalem stop. So if he says Jerusalem's in ruins, the king's going to like, well, well, yeah, that's because I did that. He didn't say that. What he said was, man, the place of my fathers. Now, kings love heritage and legacy. That's a big deal. Can I just tell you, remind you again, politics fade and change. Relationships last and matter. And he's appealing to that. You and I need to stop worrying so much about appealing from an institutional basis and start realizing people are made in the image of God, wired by God to worship Him and glorify Him forever. Sin separates them from that perfect design that God had for their lives. And we are the only hope that they have to hear the gospel articulated in a language they can understand. So we need to be ready and we need to talk to them like people and not like projects. Be ready. He appealed to him as a person, as a human. And what did the king say? I don't care. Let it burn. No. The king responded favorably. I want to tell you the next header I'd write beside of verses 4 through 8 would be, it takes planning. If we're going to do the work of God, it takes wisdom and it takes planning. You're going to see some planning went into this response. It's pretty awesome. The king responds. He pops the question in verse 4. The king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now this was a quick prayer. A quick prayer. I remember one Sunday when I was teaching right before we got into the Sermon on the Mount. Do y'all remember that? It seems like so long ago. But I was teaching about the prayer of the, um, the hypocrite that was praying long, boisterous words to be heard of men. And I said, don't pray like this. Pray like the tax collector who said, go oh God, have mercy on me. Enter Caroline the following Sunday. As I did, did a corporate prayer for the church. You've heard us all do that. Corporate prayer from a pastor, elder, or somebody just doing corporate prayer in a church. It's a teaching moment. It's also a praying moment. It has all these textures to it, right? It's, it's a lovely thing. Caroline walks up to me after service. She says, so, um, you know you just did what you told us not to do last week. How does that work? <laughs> right? So I love Caroline, and she's challenged me and helped me. In fact, when we were at camp, um, my boys had warned me about taking Q&A from some of these campers because they didn't know what 
what happened, I don't know if I shared this with you, but I did. I totally, totally just missed and didn't heed their advice and said, any questions? And, and a young lady raised her hands and asked me about basically the, the uh, premise of the just war theory. I said, okay, we'll meet after class. Any other questions? Seeing none, let's go, right? No. So I was thinking, oh, I won't take questions, but I thought, wait, Caroline will be with me. I'll be fine. If I can't field it, she can. But, but here's the thing. Nehemiah makes a, a short prayer. This is a prayer underneath his breath. He's not trying to impress anybody. He's not trying to teach anybody anything. This isn't a moment, oh, let's pray like Nehemiah. Okay, let's do the four months of intercession that paved the road for the breath prayer that gets somewhere. If all you do are these little breath prayers, I got news for you. You got some dues to pay, right? Nehemiah interceded, wept, mourned, prayed for four months before this quick Lord help prayer. There's humble worship and dependence on God's name that shows up in a moment. D.L. Moody said it this way, a man who prays much in private will make short prayers in public. He prayed and wisdom flowed from his lips. If you follow the text, I don't have time to read every verse in chapter two so I can work you through some of the headers. So we've already read some of this, but if you follow what he asked for, what Elliot read to us earlier, he prayed, wisdom flowed, he asked for credentials for safety as he moved through. He didn't turn down anything the king requested and he asked for a whole lot of lumber. He better be glad he didn't ask in the last six months with the prices we've had. But he asked for a whole lot of lumber and he got working orders and the king said sure and signed off on everything he needed. Now it may have surprised Nehemiah that all of his requests and any others that weren't in the text that all of his requests got given to him freely and without reservation. Remember, this is the king who opposed the rebuilding, right, from Ezra. This is where all the Bible kind of talks together. This guy was against this before. What happened? Was it Nehemiah's clever speech? Was it Nehemiah's choice of words that talked about his dads and, and, and not, uh, not Jerusalem? I mean, I kind of hinted that might be what it is. No, that's not what did it. God did this. God is at work. God turns the hearts of leaders like he directs the rivers of this world. God did this. God's sovereign hand. It wasn't the queen who was sitting beside of the king it's as if Nehemiah's speech appealed to her. No, it was an act of God's gracious, sovereign control over the situation. The king made his own decision of his own volition, but God knew all of this, saw all of this, planned all of this, and executed all of this. How does that work? Don't know, just giving you the report. He's in charge. He is totally in charge. Nehemiah was focused on God. He was the real power that moved the course of history. He knew that God was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all he had thought and asked for. What's the implication? He had thought and asked for something. It takes wisdom from God after praying. It takes planning from God and then we're gonna move and see where the rubber meets the road. We've seen the progression here. God gave him incredible wisdom and now a key factor that separates the men from the boys and leadership, it takes action. Nehemiah's actually gotta show up. Verses nine through 16. We won't read all of these. You've got some homework today. Go back and read the passage for yourself and see if these headers help you. Maybe you'll come up with better headers. Shoot them to me, email me. I won't re-preach it next week. But uh, I'd love to see how the Lord's leading you in your study of the text. 
Nehemiah, in verses 9 through 16, he sets out for Jerusalem by way of the supplies that he needs. And uh, I just want to tell you that real leaders actually get involved. They don't just call the shots from the ivory towers. They willingly give of themselves to do the hard work, to accomplish the work, and then they invite others to join them. I can't ask you to pray if I'm not praying. No credibility in that. It's all theoretical. We don't need any more theoretical Christians or theoretical preachers. We need men of God who will stand on the word of God and go when the Bible says go. And you know what happens? People of God will rally and rise to the task. You're not in this alone. Real leaders get involved. Nehemiah barely gets going. He just gets out the door, gets to his first little city to give them the credentials he has. And and what happens? Haters gonna hate y'all. That's not what the verse says. That's my little summary of the next verse. What happens? He barely gets out the door. Look at verse 10 with me. But when Sanballat, what a name. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, when these two fellows heard, it displeased them greatly. Look at the text. That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel? I mean, these guys are a piece of work. They're ticked off and bothered because somebody's asking if people are okay. Can you imagine such evil that would manifest itself when somebody's concerned for the lives of others? Can you imagine such evil that would stand in the way of somebody wanting to help other people find life? We don't have to imagine. It's happening in front of us. Right in front of our very eyes. Nehemiah barely gets going. And the detractors are there. They're ticked off that somebody's hinting at change. They're ticked off that somebody was about to disrupt their evil empire. In verse 11, Nehemiah makes it to Jerusalem. I find it interesting. He doesn't even address that. He just records it as a fact. He doesn't tell anyone in verse 11 why he's there. Uh, Timing is everything. Like he didn't show up and immediately hold a town hall meeting and tell everybody his plan. No, what did he do? He showed up to inspect. He gathered information. He got data so he could make the next wise step and steward God's resources well. Listen, there are a lot of things we could be doing as Grace Covenant Church. I know the church up the street is doing this, this, this. The church across the street is doing that, that, that. The church down the road is doing this and a little bit of that, and they're doing some of this thing here. We're not them. And what we're going to do is do what God leads us to do as we are in prayer. We're going to do what God leads us to do by the means that he provides with the people he sends our way, which means ministry may look this way in a season and it may look this way in a season, but we are always going to stand firm on the word of God. We are always going to be committed to the work of building, disciple-making disciples for the work and the ministry of the Lord. Newsflash, the work and ministry of the Lord happens when you leave the building, mostly. It's you being the living letters that the world reads and hopefully discovers Christ. We must consider the times and seasons. George Mueller said uh, that when he was asked to consider a matter, he had three questions he would ask before he would leap. Here they are, ready? Is this the Lord's work? And then he would ask, is this the Lord's way? And then finally, and most importantly, is this the Lord's time? I've got... You know the notes thing on your phone? I have too many notes documents that are 
parking lot, their ideas, their ministry initiatives that I can't wait to implement. Some of them, praise God for your benefit, and probably mine, we will probably never do. That's a good thing, right? Some of them are, mm, right? But, but some of them, it's just not time. I think it, I can see clearly it's the Lord's work. I can see clearly it's the Lord's way, and it matches the DNA of Grace Covenant. Not time. Not time. There's wisdom in that with your family. You can't do all the things all the time. Young people, you can't do everything all the time. There's a season, there's a timing to do stuff. Then it's time in verse 17. He assembles the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of those who are to work, and he lets them know what's up. Look at your verses 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I don't know if you get ads on your social media, but one keeps popping up for this hand strengthener thing. I don't know if it knew if I said Nehemiah out loud somewhere at a point in my house and it knew I was coming to this verse. Social media is weird, y'all, right? Freaks me out sometimes. But these little hand things, my dad had those, grip, grip strengths. I don't think that's exactly what they're talking about here. I think it meant they began to get their houses in order and began to get ready to do a work for God. Listen, it's good to look before you leap, but if if, if you've been looking for 20 years, it might be time to leap. <laughs> and, and it's good to, to plan, but don't plan it to death. It, it's good to strengthen yourself, but we're not strengthened to show off our muscles in the house. You know, the church of God is not just a place where we get our little lights that shine and shine them in each other's eyes all the time. No, no, no. We need to take the light into the dark world and shine for the glory of God. We build our strength in the word and in prayer and in fellowship together and in worship so that we can do the work of God. It takes others is the header I would put for those verses. I wanted to read the verses first. It takes others. He can't do this alone. He didn't show up unannounced with no data and no plan and no feet on the ground and then start recruiting. No, he had wisdom. He had a plan. He was ready to take action. He enlisted workers. He knew that the work that God had him to do needed the people of God. Your pastor can't reach South End alone. I, I, I don't fill these pews. I don't recruit this, that, or the other. We do that as member Chad, along beside of member you and regular attender you and guest you. We do the work together relationally for the work of the Lord, building God's kingdom. He reminded them that this was about more than a city in rubble. God's name was at stake here. For those who loved God's name, this was intolerable to think that God's name was being derided by those around them. It wasn't about Nehemiah building a name or an empire, or we might say in 2022, he wasn't trying to advance his brand. He was trying and endeavoring to do God's work, God's way, so that God got all the credit and the glory. So what happened? They're like, let's do this, right? It's imagine Grace Covenant. Now, we're not an animated bunch. I've seen some of you animated. I'm not saying you're not animated as individuals. 
But we're not going to like swing from the chandeliers or anything in here. Or, Please don't, 111, 12-year-old building. I don't know. Ted would, uh, might, he would probably tase me from there if, uh, th- since I've suggested it. Because I see some of you middle schoolers looking now. I could do it. I could do it. If I got on Elliot's shoulders, I could do it. So, so um, but, but, but imagine with me for just a moment. You, you, I preach the sermon. We come to the moment at the end, and you all stand up and in roarous thunder are like, let's do this, Pastor. I would like kind of have a moment, right? It'd be awesome. I mean, I, saying that is one thing. Seeing you do it, like, that's my heart. And, and most of you leave the place and are about our Father's business. I love that. But it's that kind of response there with him. So what do you think the next thing is? They all go get, you know, suited up, get their little uh, credentials on that says, I'm with Nehemiah, you know, kind of deal. Or Nehemiah's crew, the wall crew, whatever it is. No, no, what happens in the very next verse? Sanballat and Tobiah show back up. And that's just how it works. When we're about to do a work for God, listen, it will bring opposition. That's your next header. You've got one more header, and then we'll finish up. It brings opposition in verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem, they recruited another negative person. You know, negativity loves company. And it's not hard to find people who have the spiritual gift of criticism. Have you met any of those folks? You're like, well, let's wait for Brother Bill. He wants to give us a word of criticism here. Brother Bill, why don't you share? Why don't you bring the tone down, the temperature of the room down to frigid? They recruited somebody else. They hear about it, and they, didn't just, they weren't just upset about it. They jeered us. They despised us. Have you been jeered and despised for the work of the Lord? You want a taste of that? You want a taste of that? Show up with us one day at the abortion mill, and you'll see who's really doing the screaming and shouting at that place. It's not the quiet Christians who are there praying and trying to intercede and trying to intercede for life. No, it's the haters of life here the haters of life here that saying what is this thing that you're doing are you rebelling against the king i don't know why they're southern i just made him say that there, there's there's not been a work undertaken for god since adam fell which has not met with opposition d.l moody again said if satan allows our work to go unhindered it's probably because it's of no consequence god help us sanballat tobiah and gershom are indignant They didn't care about the welfare of Jerusalem. Who were they? They hated the work of restoration. They didn't want to see people restored. They didn't want to see God's glory on display again. You've got friends and coworkers and family members that want to drag you down, that don't want to see any restoration, that don't want to see the glory of God on display. These are not your inner circle buddies. They are not going to build you up in the faith. I'm not saying ditch them. Stay in their lives. Stay connected to them. But these are not people that you go to for advice. These are not people that you go to when you're in the foxhole. And the battle is hot. You come to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the word and the word is alive in them. That's who you need. Notice their pressure. I want to quickly hasten through this and get to the last. I think Nehemiah's response is very clever. But these guys are insinuating that pursuing the kingdom of God could be perceived as rebellion against the reigning powers. Can I say that again? I mean, this is ancient history here. This would never happen today. But listen to what I just said. They're saying, hey, if you do this thing for God, you're going to be rebelling against the earthly kings and powers, 
Again, ancient history wouldn't happen today. They're, they're saying something like, hey, if you walk with God, you're going to be out of step with the kingdoms of this earth. A- ancient. Mm. If you embrace God's ways, that's going to be in conflict with culture's grip on the moment. Ancient history? No, five minutes ago. And when you step out in the parking lot today, I want to make a comment here to those watching, those who are engaged online of multi-generations, and I love the congregation this morning. We have some guests that are just passing through, and they made this statement to me, wow, we love seeing children in the service. What a blessing to see all these generations represented together. It's a beautiful thing, and I get to see it from this perspective week after week. I don't know why y'all keep coming back. Praise God you do. You come back for each other, I know, and the relationships. I'm so grateful for what God's doing in our midst. I'm also mindful that in the room, because there are multiple generations, there are some of you that have seen America in a different light. There, There was a time, for a long time, that Christians and Christianity in the United States lived in a culture that, even though it was probably only surface level, still valued Christianity. I mean, as a culture, America at one time valued Christianity. I want to tell you something. Those days are gone. And they weren't gone with the last election. They've been gone for some time. You can't tell me they're here when we're slaughtering babies at the rate that we're slaughtering them. So so those days are gone, okay? So, but I want you to hear me say something. Faithfulness to God and Christ, you just peacefully, lovingly living out your life in obedience to this Bible and to God will soon be interpreted as rebellion against the governing cultures and mainline authority. In some instances, it's already here. Our brothers and sisters around the world, mm, better, the majority of Christians alive today, you know what they would say to us? Because the majority of Christians alive today are not in America. They'll say, welcome to the party. This is all we've ever known. It's always cost us something to live for Jesus. Our theology has had to be a theology of getting fired. Our theology has had to be a theology of getting excommunicated from our families. Our theology has had to be a theology of abandoning the pursuit of riches and the accumulation of things that the world values so that we could gather and worship together. Our theology has cost us something. I think, I think a cultural shift is coming for us as the church in the United States of America. We're going to have to sit in the classroom of the persecuted church and learn some things. They don't need us to export our American Christianity anymore. It's not working. They need us to send missionaries, yes, just like any other nation does, that are committed to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and building up God's church. Yes, that's what they need. But, but we have some things to learn from our brothers and sisters around the globe. Don't you be kept out of the kingdom of God by some naysayers. Don't you be hindered in the work of Christianity by the scorn and laughter and ridicule of godless people who hate restoration and life be in their lives be the salt and light God's called you to be but don't let them affect your trajectory 
for the Lord. I need to finish up here. Nehemiah could have debated them. He could have uh, tried to convince them otherwise. He could have engaged them on all kinds of levels. But he shuts them down by focusing on God. Notice how he responds in, uh, in verse 20. Notice Nehemiah's response in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. He didn't say, Hey, my king gave me permission. He didn't appeal to anything earthly. He said, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, no right, and no claim in Jerusalem. Man, if I had time, we could do a class afterwards and I could point you to some of the richness in these words where he says no portion, no right, no uh, memorial, no claim. You know what he's basically saying? Your, your past life hasn't contributed to anything for the work of God. Your present thing isn't helping us in any way and, and you're not in the future crowd that's gonna help us. So we're not gonna listen to you. You have no bearing on this project. We're gonna get the work done. See ya, right? See ya. Mike Rowe recently was engaged. Um, he's joined PragerU, and, um, which is a conservative thinking group. And somebody posted on his wall recently and said, you know what, because you're associated with this uh, Christian conservative group, I've lost all respect for you. Now, I'm going to dress it up a little bit for church, but Mike colorfully responded, you know what's interesting about your post is that you think I have any concern about your respect for me at all that you would think that a stranger that has no bearing on my life that I'm trying to impress you in some way. That blows my mind. The world has always hated the work of the church. They may play like they like it, but they've always hated the work of the church unless it benefits them directly in some way, usually socially. So let's not be shocked that we don't get rubber stamps of approval all the time from all the powers that be. That's not our goal. We're here as an outpost of the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is not in the U.S. of A. primarily for the child of God. It is in the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of a city whose builder and maker is God. And we're going to be good citizens here on earth. But we are in this world, not of this world. That final response took a confident focus on the Lord and what he was doing. That's your little word for verse 20. I've already given you the meat behind it. Listen, I'm telling you, those who endeavor to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen. We need to stay focused on him. While Julia is coming to the instrument this morning, thank you so much for your attention this morning. Let's get to work. I mean, if we're going to do the work that God's called us to do, let's do it God's way so that he gets all the glory. And I don't just mean churchy, grace covenanty kind of things building up uh, a robust and wonderfully teaching. And I'm so thankful for the Sunday school teachers. We met this morning again and just encouraged one another and, and thought about the future and, and prayed together. It was a wonderful time in a lot of ways. But, but it's not just building up our stuff. It's building up one another so that when we leave the building, we're doing the work that God called us to do. It must start, it must be saturated and sustained by prayer. And it takes wisdom, it takes planning, it takes leaders that are acting and not just sitting at a desk calling the shots. It takes others. It's gonna bring opposition, but we have this confidence. If we stay focused on God, it's gonna be okay. And it's gonna bring him the glory that he deserves. 
Today, God's name is no longer on display or at stake in a city with walls and gates. God's name is now at stake in the lives of his people who are the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a moment uh, to reflect. Julia's going to play. I want you to take this opportunity not to begin to shift your mind to getting out to the lemonade and cookies, which are nice, but to take a moment and reflect. Are there walls in your life that have crumbled that need some attention? That you need to spend some time in prayer and ask God for wisdom and ask God for a plan of action to begin to rebuild some things in your life for the work of restoration? Christian friend, brother or sister, can I encourage you this morning? Are your hands strengthened for the work? We don't just need a sign-up sheet for people to put their names on, down to do something. We need men and women who are in the word. Men and women of prayer who are ready for God to get all the glory. Let's pray. While the singers are coming to lead us in one final song, let's stand and join together in prayer. Father, thank you for moments like this. Your word coming to life. This ancient text, so relevant, so crystal clear for us in what you've called us to be. Lord, you are calling us to a work that is greater than building a wall in a city. You are leading us with a leader who is greater than Nehemiah, even as we see his leadership qualities on display. Lord, you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ to change us from the inside out and to mobilize us for the work, the great commission work of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded so that you get the glory, the honor, and the praise for your work done your way. Use this crowd, this motley crew of worshipers on a Sunday morning, Lord, to glorify you in extraordinary ways as we leave this place today. Let's join our voices together this morning and sing.